few months ago, I wrote a blog post about how I use the lectionary uh, on Sunday. The scriptures that we read in our services or that I preach from are, are not by coincidence. Uh, they are planned by a group of ministers and others uh, three years in advance. So three years ago, three or four, well, I guess we're in year B now, so maybe four years ago, some people sat down and mapped out a year of Scripture um, and, um, and just said it. I mean, they didn't know what was coming in the world. Um, the lectionary psalm from today comes from Psalm 23, as it was picked four years ago for this particular Sunday and will be preached and read across our world. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Shepherds do not have an easy job. Day in and day out, they work hard to keep their sheep safe. Sheep who are dead set on going their own way, placing themselves in danger, or who are in constant need of care for their basic needs. They're unpredictable, they're loud, and they don't always smell the best. A shepherd who does not love the sheep will find themselves hard-pressed to do the job for which they have taken on. It's a lot of waiting and sitting and redirecting. The psalmists of the 23rd Psalm knew this when they put themselves not in place of the shepherd, because right, that's where many of us may put ourselves. I'm the leader in this put themselves rather in the place of the sheep. Uh, Even stranger note when you take into account that historically and traditionally it's believed David wrote this psalm and David was a shepherd. So for a shepherd to put himself in place of the sheep is significant. This imagery that paints the picture of us in a pasture evokes deep emotional connection as we easily place ourselves in that moment. We can see our lives as we bleat through our days, as we walk and seem lost, as we smell not always the best in how we live, as we are unpredictable, as we turn away from the shepherd more often than sometimes we turn toward the shepherd. We know the fear of being lost. We know the pain of grief. We know the soul-crushing darkness of the valley of the shadow of death. Our world is truly not one that spares us from that. It didn't then. It doesn't now. As the psalmist reflects on this world in which they live, they can't help but find themselves thinking of those loneliest days, those darkest moments. 
It's almost as if they are saying, though I face storms I can't overcome, though I face darkness that chokes my breath away, though I stand in the face of the greatest of evil, I feel even in those moments, somehow I am not alone. No matter what they had done, no matter where they had ended up, no matter what they had faced, The shepherd's comforting and guiding presence was always close to them. They knew that the storms would always lead to calmer water. They knew that the deepest darkness still comes with the dawn of a new day, still ends with the dawn of a new day. They knew that even the greatest of evil that they would face would eventually fall. They knew this. Because their shepherd was always there with them with a rod of direction and guidance and arms of comfort to pick them up no matter what and to hold them close. The imagery in our stained glass window of our sanctuary, right? In our lectionary passage from Acts that Todd read today, we found a few of the disciples of Jesus in chains because they had healed someone who could not walk. When asked who gave them the authority to do so, they reminded the religious leaders of the Good Shepherd who had once stood before them in chains. Peter said, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick, and are asked, how was this man healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that this man standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, and now it has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. While David or whoever may have written Psalm 23 would have not known the name of Jesus, Peter certainly found the Psalm's guiding presence in that of Jesus. Jesus was the good shepherd who had laid down his life for his sheep. He was the good shepherd who had made the ultimate sacrifice at the hands of evil so that the sheep he loved could go on living, go on loving the world around them. Salvation in this life was knowing that we would never again walk alone. Salvation beyond this life was knowing that our shepherd would care for us forever. That even death could not separate us from his love and restful care. For when we fall over the cliff at the end of this life, he catches us and pulls us back to a life we could have never imagined. Today we face many dark valleys in our lives and our world. This year has not been an easy one on any front as we have collectively faced waters that are anything but steel. We have mourned the loss of much. We have cried more tears than we believed our bodies contained. We have stared down roads that seem to have no end at all. And this week... That valley grew even darker for us here at Benson Baptist. Reverend Felicia Fox knew her place as one of God's sheep. In every youth lesson, 
Every children's sermon with River, every sermon from this pulpit, she reminded us of how much we needed the guiding presence of Christ. Her faith radiated from her big smile, her contagious laugh, her country twang, and her gentle presence that came from a deep reliance on the shepherd that she loved so deeply. Christ was her guiding light. His presence is what gave her life and kept her moving as she leaned deeply into a call that was undeniable for any who had the honor of meeting her. If you go to her Facebook page and you look at what she's been tagged in and see the posts of former youth, pastors, and church members, you see just how much she meant in those spaces. How much she guided people to Christ. <laughs> of course, we don't need to go to her Facebook page to know that. Because in the four and a half months she was here, believe it or not, four and a half months, that's it. She came December 13th. Truly, she taught us a lot about who Jesus is. Yet Felicia was more than just a sheep of God. She truly was a shepherd in our midst. She loved to serve. She found life in walking with children and teenagers as they discovered who Jesus was for themselves. She reminded us with every chance that she had that hers was a shepherd who would seek us out when we were lost. She guided us to that shepherd's presence as a shepherd herself. And our lives have been changed because she was here among us. She guided us to lean on Christ and know that everything else would come as we followed Him. She reminded us that our call was to love others as much and as often as we can. I remember a moment when she visited here last uh, fall to meet the congregation and for the congregation to meet her as we brought her here. We had dinner with her over here, Marjean and Dinah and I, and she sat up here on the stage and answered questions and even made some people cry, I remember, as she answered some of the questions about her love for ministry. But there was this moment that showed who she was, and I, I learned it uh, later, how, just how much a part of her it was, but she came up to me and she said, I've got a weird request. And I said, okay, <laughs> sure, think about it before you ask, because you're visiting this weekend. She said, could I just email you a form to print out for me? I said, sure, I could, I could do that. What's it for? And she said, at my church where I serve in Gastonia, I'm in charge of benevolence requests. And somebody has reached out to me today, and I've kept my email on even when I'm visiting here because I didn't want anybody to, to not have a need met, and, and somebody needs lodging. They've, they, they need somewhere to sleep tonight, uh, and I can't wait till I get back to Gastonia tomorrow to figure that out. I, I need to do it now, and the hotel needs a form. Can you fill that out? Uh, can you print that out so I could fill that out and send it in? And so I did that and thought nothing of it. But yesterday, as I was rewriting my sermon and sitting at my desk, Beth and Janet were bringing in uh, supplies for tomorrow's funeral meal for Felicia's family. And Beth came down to my office and said, I'm sorry to interrupt, but somebody saw us here and came in the door and, uh, and needs to talk to somebody. And, and so I came down. And the person said, I've got three kids and my husband, and, and we don't have a home, and we need some help with lodging. And as I sat back down after 
for sending that along to our team. And looking back at, at my sermon, my mind immediately went back to that moment. And when I drove to the hotel and I handed some bags of food over to that family and saw the, the three kids laying on a bed, smiling up and saying, is that food? I couldn't help but think of how much joy Felicia would have taken standing there in my place. Because she called us to serve. She called us to love. Her next event on the calendar is a Mother's Missions event for Mother's Day weekend. She was planning a missions event for the fall for the youth. She wanted the children and youth to not just know who Jesus was and is, but to know what it meant to get their hands and feet dirty for Christ, to serve other people, to know what that looked like. Can't help but think that yesterday, God was reminding me of that. She also often reminded us to always trust God's guidance in our lives. As biblical scholar J. Clinton McCann says of Psalm 23, in effect, to make Psalm 23 our words is to affirm that we do not need to worry about our lives or our deaths. God will provide, and God's provision is grounded in the reality of God's reign. The proper response to the simple good news of Psalm 23 and to Jesus Christ is simply to trust God. Trusting God and knowing God's love for us is exactly what she would tell us to do now. Finding hope in the midst of every day, even when those days were tough. For the last month or so, as I come into my office, I have to pass Felicia's door, and she always had it wide open because she was ready for anybody to stop by. And I would say good morning, and she'd smile up at me and say good morning and get out a pad and a pen ready to write down in case I said something she needed to remember. But often in the mornings as I came in, she would be sitting at her desk reading a daily devotion. And talking to her wife Alyssa this week, I found out that ever since she was a teenager, she would do a daily devotion, she'd read scripture, she'd take out a journal, and then she would journal her thoughts every single day. Some days it was pages long, some days it was just, I don't, I don't have anything coming from this. And then she would list prayer requests. From what I understand, the last few months, many of your names were on that list. My name was on that list. People at our church who have been struggling are on that list. But the last few weeks, she had gotten this book that came out this year. It's called A Rhythm of Prayer, and she had been reading it. When I went into her office to look for the children's sermon stuff, it was sitting there uh, on her desk, and she had marked uh, the last page where she had read, but she had also marked a, a passage, a, a section. And as I read it, because I was interested in seeing what stood out to her so much, I realized that this summed up exactly who Reverend Felicia Fox was and what she taught us. And so I'm going to read that for you now. So bear with me for just a second and know that Felicia would want us to hear these words. It's entitled A Reminder by Sarah Bessie. You don't have to be productive and you don't have to change the world. You're already so loved. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be simple. You don't have to read all the right books by the right people. You're already so loved. You don't have to be beautiful and thin with an articulated and ironic fashion sense. Not at all. But if you're into that kind of thing, well, that's okay too. You don't have to be healthy in your mind or in your body. You don't have to be in full-time vocational ministry. You can watch horrible television or you can be proud of your televisionless home. You can be artistic or scientific. You can spend your life traveling to meet beautiful people. 
Or you can live and die in the town where you were born. You don't have to conform to someone else's ideas of holy or acceptable. You can be from the wrong side of the tracks or the gated community, the suburbs or urban or rural. You can work with your hands and your mind, your back and your brain. You don't have to be educated, not at all. You don't have to have a degree or letters after your name. You don't have to know the right people and boast a carefully curated Instagram feed with the famous and the beautiful and the influential. You don't have to be conservative and you don't have to be liberal. You don't have to identify with a certain political persuasion or ideology on sexuality or science or socioeconomics or foreign policy. You can be a social justice warrior or you know, you cannot. None of that moves the meter of your belovedness. God won't say, okay, now I love her just a bit more because look, she's finally out of debt or thin or powerful or influential or tireless. Your family story can be beautiful or terrible or like most of us, a bit of both. Perhaps you're famous or well-known or influential, that's okay. Perhaps you're quiet and unknown. Maybe you hate that. Maybe you love that. You don't have to be a mother or a father. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. You don't have to want children or raise children. You don't have to be sober or clean. You don't have to give away everything you own and take a vow of poverty. You don't have to be prosperous either. Church or no church, or a certain kind of church only, whatever. You can doubt or feel great certainty, even if that certainty is in your doubt. You can believe in God, doubt God, seek God. You can be someone well acquainted with unanswered prayers. You can carry chronic pain or dance through life. You can be introverted or extroverted. You don't have to love yourself or even like yourself. You are loved. Whether your life looks well put together from the outside while hiding a hot mess inside or vice versa, sometimes on the same day, you are loved. Morning lark, night owl, sinner, saint, child of God, siblings, all of us, we are loved. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to earn. Sure, any one of those things might change because you are loved. You may know already where God wants to breathe change and wholeness into you, bringing your life more into line with the person you were meant to be all along. Love can and does and will transform us in every way. Our ideology, our opinions, our habits, our values, our priorities, our very names. But it's not a prerequisite or a requirement. It's not behavior modification. It never is, not for love. Love has happened, and it is happening, and it will happen. It is kind and patient towards you. You are already so loved. You aren't earning a breath of love or tenderness more than what you already have just by breathing, just by existing, just by being here in the wonder. Your name is already written in the lines of the hands of the universe. Your star breath of dust and you are beloved, intimately, faithfully, holy. It is your lifelong rock. You are known you are loved with delight and abundance, with choice and desire, with covenantal love. You may feel it or not. You are so loved. You are so loved. You are so loved. So friends, in this time of sadness and mourning, I leave you with two things. First, the reminder from John 1.5 that I quoted over and over again during Advent. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. 
And the second thing I leave you with is the challenge that Reverend Felicia Fox had written in her children's sermon for this morning that is being read downstairs by Michelle and Heather to the kids even now in the Children's Ministry Center. Felicia said this, The truth is that God loves all people. And since we can't see God or hug God, we have to find other ways to show that love. We do that by loving the people around us. We do that by helping to take care of each other. This week, I want you to try and love the people around you really well. Anytime we show kindness and love to someone else, we are showing it to God too. Friends, that is your challenge for this week.